This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row quarantine studios in the crap part of the Upper West Side of New York and the crap part of almost West Hollywood, Rog, from the back house of my estates. It's the Men in Blazers podcast. We back like Bayern Munich in training and it is so, so, so very good to hear your voice, Michael Davis. It is. I didn't know Bayern Munich were back in training, Rog. Close quarters, five max, no contact. How is LA pandemic life, Davo? Are you 73% made of cheese products as we pod? You know, I don't know how, but I've actually lost weight. But I think that's because I'm just sleeping more than six hours a night because that's a good way to pass time. Do you know, I'll tell you the major thing. It's been raining quite a lot here in Los Angeles. And so, you know me, you know, an Englishman in his garden, Rog. Uh, and I downloaded a, an app, which I'm so excited about. It's called Picture This, Rog. And I get, I'm showing it to you on the Zoom right now. I get to walk around my garden. I take photos of all of my plants and trees and shrubs and flowers. And it tells me exactly what they are, gives me the Latin names, gives me their history. And honestly, just knowing all about my bay laurels, my weeping figs, my migaralias, the hawthorn tree right outside my window, my Taiwanese photinia, my angel's trumpet, and my various forms of cacti, Rog. I mean, my golden barrel cacti are just gorgeous. Honestly, nothing has given me greater pleasure in my life than my garden. Oh, Michael Davis, some of his best friends are botanical. (laughs) It's very true. It's very true. Oh, don't even start me on the wild iris. Beautiful, blooming right now, Rog. Oh, New York life, I'm not going to lie, is a little grim. Perhaps for me, the most curious aspect of the past few weeks. And I wrote about this in the newsletter today. I live for one thing, really, and that is... Oh, well, football, but you know I love my books, right? If you could have an app that allowed you to walk around your library, just telling you all about the books. I've got this huge tower of books and I thought, wow, I'm going to plow through them. I've been, you know, aching to get to some of these beauties, the ones that are always at the bottom. And over the last three weeks, I've not been able to at all. My concentration has just been so off because like many of you listening, no doubt, I'm so like bound by this real life processing the daily torrent of information, attempting to lift family morale all the time, ingesting the hellscape of daily press conferences. I don't want to watch, but I feel like I have to watch. And I found my ability to like lose myself in other worlds has virtually become non-existent. I've hardly read a book the past three weeks. I feel like I'm just about to be able to complete a couple now. But I do, I feel in general like Kyle Walker letting a world-class skill I have just go utterly, utterly to crap, David. What do you mean? What world-class skill of Kyle Walker? Uh, Shagging. So (laughs) that is New York life. And to me, there's something akin to Liverpool life about this city. Being here now, adversity, a time of the darkest adversity in this city's history in there. You know, all it's done, though, has merely scraped off at the top layer of skin and revealed that that kind of tenacity. Yeah, that too. That lies underneath. And I do I draw an incredible strength from that. I've also, David, I've got to tell you this. I'm so excited to talk to you. Been drawing an incredible amount of strength from 
from the finished path to happiness that I've just discovered. How have I just discovered this? But this is this time is a time of new discoveries. It's a time of not being able to do much of what we want to do, but finding new, you know, new aspects to ourselves. And the finished path to happiness, Dave. Have you heard of Panstrunk? Nope. The Finnish art of getting drunk at home in your underpants, your skivvies. Oh, oh, that's the Finnish path to happiness. I was going to say, when you're talking about a Finnish path to happiness, the only Finns I've ever known are the largest alcoholics I've known in my life. So now this all makes sense. This is amazing. This is, this is like the pookie of boozing. In, in, in our Instagram world of perfection, you know, sitting there in your skivvies, pants drunk is all about stripping things down to their primal, bare authentic joyful essential i just i can imagine pants drunk being very popular with sheffield united fans davo but it is it really is it until you've tried it you will not appreciate just how wonderful it is davo pants drunk no i'll try that tonight rog i'll try that tonight. i'll lose i'll uh, i'll 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 take myself out of nature for a second and i'll i'll just get pants drunk i mean one of us is wandering around talking to plants the other is just like absolutely on the lash in his undies and i shouldn't talk about this yet because i've not trademarked it but no one's listening i'm working on black belt next level form of pants drunk that turns everything up to 11 are you ready for this yeah it's the getting drunk i'm keeping that part but i'm gonna lose the underpants <laughs> i mean it's still morning it's still morning here in la rog don't do that to me black belt pants drunk it's bits out it's just called drunk How's your novel going on the Liverpool College breaking crew? Oh mate, I'm like I'm I am knee deep into it. I am I've taken that. I've not read books. I have podded. We've written a lot of newsletters. Um and every afternoon I am sincerely working on the Liverpool College breaking crew memoir. I I'd say I'm a third of the way through. It's a, this is a terrible devastating pandemic and possibly one of the many under-told stories of darkness of this pandemic is that Rogers writing a memoir. What would you take for the movie rights to it right now? What would I bite your arm off for? Yeah, no, because I'm I, I might be willing to negotiate. Right now, I'm writing yeah. I'm writing one of the climax chapters, which is about the Liverpool College. Um, one of the apex moments of my life, the final of the 1986 Liverpool College Chess Championships. It's very deep. Yeah. It's very deep. <laughs> the price I got in my head just came down by about 20%. But I can still see us turning that into some kind, some kind of a, a motion picture. Who are the big rivals of the Liverpool College breaking crew? Did you have dance-offs against other schools? I was one of the great breakers in the early breaking scene in Liverpool, just by virtue of the fact that... <laughs> that there were no other breakers. <laughs> yeah, when I was in Deerfield Mall outside of Chicago, hello Deerfield if you're listening, I did buy a breakdancing how-to videotape. Um, which was amazing. It was like, it had this incredibly deep voice um, narrator who was never seen, but he came out with lines like, if you play it cool and keep it right, you'll be the coolest one in the schoolyard tonight. Just try and be like a machine. You're nothing. You're nothing like a machine. Yeah, and they'd be like, just pretend you're floating on a cloud. Oh, and I'd be no, like, but Rush I'm not. Do that. I'm in my mum and dad's floats on clouds. I'm in my mum and dad's lounge. Why does that help <laughs> me? Break it down. Give me, give me instruction. I can follow, man. Oh, mate. So the book's going quite well, fella, and it is real. It is real. It's coming out in February now, David. Oh, can't wait. I'm making that part up. But you're trying to get the movie rights back up again. Um, I love it. It could be animated. It could be animated. Mate, it's not the biggest news. It is not the biggest news of the 
of the week since I last spoke to you in bigger news, mm-hmm. even bigger news. And I don't mean oh, the kind of news that um, Britain's lurch into leaderlessness should be taking up on this podcast or oh, the Department of Justice busting more FIFA executives and even Fox TV execs for providing money to reinvest in apartments for cats for FIFA operatives. By the way, can we just take one quick second? Does the pandemic not prove that Chuck Blazer was a genius and actually the notion of an apartment for cats, which seems so ludicrous when he did it, we all need apartments for our bloody cats. Social distancing for your cats. Can we just quickly talk about the Department of Justice busting all of those um, South American, Central American FIFA executives? Fox executives. I thought it was bloody Lalas. When they said Fox executives have been busted, (laughs) I was like, oh, a Lalas mugshot that we don't need. You know, in the Zoom era... All businesses need to, um, they need to sort of bring down their ambition a little bit. They need to focus on the stuff that's basic and easy to do. Can you imagine how far down the depth chart it was to the Department of Justice to go and bust these guys? It just was so easy to do. Whenever you want to do something simple, they could have done it over text. They could have busted these guys. They probably didn't even need a Zoom call. They probably didn't even need internet. Rog, to go and figure out how to like bust these guys. Yeah, I'm sure somehow there's some hydroxychloroquine involved in it somehow, Dave. I don't quite understand yeah. it. And if you if, if you're listening, William Barr, he's he's got yeah. he's like he's got his eye on the golden blazer. I think yeah. <laughs> he's, he knows Loretta Lynch got one. The big big yeah. news. Can you hit us with the week's biggest news since we last podded? I mean, massive. Rog, uh, this was broken by National Geographic, which is, um, I mean, as a nature lover, this is uh, pretty much my new source of choice. Huge feral hogs, Rog, feral hogs have invaded Canada, building pigloos as they go, a population of wild boar (laughs) who have interbred with domestic pigs. That's a good night out. The boars have interbred with domestic pigs. They've left Canada with an expanding and uncontrollable feral hog population. The result is an ecological train wreck, Roger. Hogs as big as 600 pounds are breeding like, well, feral hogs. Such is their ingenuity. These poor little domestic pigs, Roger. Such is their ingenuity (laughs) that the hogs are even capable of building overground shelters, which have been dubbed pigloos by researchers. Oh, I'd love a pigloo. Oh, mate, every modern home now has a pigloo. I love this for so many reasons, Dave, this story. First of all, pigloo, the concept of, and next Canadian MLS team, whatever you do, you've got to call yourself the pigloos. That's a real American soccer name. Second, can you imagine the excitement in Steve Bruce's home? Beer and you see it? Canadian bacon. Canadian bacon. I remember something like porn. This article must have been like porn for that man. Feral bacon. Yep, feral pigback bacon is the best bacon. Mm, loves me. I mean, Canadian GFOPs who are in real estate. It's an ecological train wreck. I love to be some ecological train wreck. So is the Andrew Yedlin. Yeah, I mean... If you are a Canadian GFOP, and we, we've realised over the past week we have many, many great Canadian GFOPs who've written to us. If any of you are in real estate, can you please email Steve Bruce Bacon, his life at AOL.com, <laughs> as I believe he's now in the market for a condo yeah. in the Yukon area. Ooh, feral pig back bacon! I think uh, GFOP, all Canadian GFOPs should henceforth, the P should stand for Piglu. 
they're great friends of the Piglu, Rog. That's a, uh, oh, I need more Piglu updates. I need a picture from a Canadian GFOP. Please send me a picture of a Piglu. And perhaps a video of one being built in that sort of, you know, um, time-lapse footage. I want to see a time-lapse Piglu construction. Oh, if you don't have a Piglu in your back garden, I'm calling bullshit on this whole story, David. <laughs> okay, Rog, the good news is no amount of feral hogs or pigan or pigloos will stop the daily content that we're churning out at the moment. And when I say we, I mean you. Tomorrow, you're going to pod with novelist, YouTube massive Liverpool fan, John Green. Speaking of pods, we've got new episodes of WGFOP, The Bald, dropping every Monday and Friday, in which uh, you're taking everyone's questions, Rog. Call and leave us a voicemail at 646-450-9472. That's 646-450-9472. Our newsletter, also going out daily. You can subscribe to that on meninblazers.com. And in Friday's edition, Rog, we will offer 10 unlucky subscribers the chance to take part in our second GFOP Zoom happy hour in which you join them to raise a glass during these dark times. We're also working, what's that, pants drunk. We're also working on a special happy hour for healthcare workers and essential workers. Details on that are forthcoming. And speaking of raising a glass, can you give us a toast, please, Rogelio? Devo, I want to raise my first third bud of the day to, to the memory of Pep Guardiola's 82-year-old mother, Dolores yeah. Salacario, who passed away from coronavirus this week, Dolores, meant to be a remarkable human being, a former textile worker in San Pedro, 40 miles north of Barcelona. She had four children, including Pep, his brother, an agent pair, uh, and Francesca, a politician who's been Catalonia's representative to the Nordic region. The Guardian told a beautiful story of how when Barcelona came knocking for uh, Pep's signature to join their famed youth academy La Masia, I think he was about 11 or 12. Dolores and her husband Valente refused the offer and kept forcing the club to make more attempts to sign the 13-year-old. She was a remarkable human being. Her passing is one of more than 13,000 Spaniards who've lost their lives during this pandemic. That region has been hit so very, very badly. And the death comes weeks after Guardiola donated $1.1 million to help fight the virus across Spain. Too often in football, we forget that the stars, the icons, the legends, more than any actually, Pep, who does seem like a mad scientist in a Marvel comic book often, we forget that they're actually human. And I've thought a lot about him this past 24 hours, how he and his family will be reeling. So we wish him, the entire Guardiola family, and everyone at Manchester City just the deepest condolences. I raise my bud fam, blood fam, to life to the memories we draw on that give us strength in good times and bad, and to better days ahead for all. Courage. Absolutely, Rog. Our condolences go out to uh, Pepin's entire family. Uh, okay, Rog, the scriptwriters, Premier League powers that be, and the players are all still navigating the future of this season, this Premier League season and beyond. You've been following this very closely. Can you uh, bring us up to speed? A little update, Rog. Oh, sadly, outside of Belarus, not a lot going on on the field. There's, there's actually not a lot going on in the field in the Belarusian league, Rog. I don't know if you've seen any of those games. I won't have you talk about my beloved <laughs> Belarusian football. I didn't master Belarusian for 12 years, Dave, to be able to appreciate the full tactical nuance of that game, just to have you mock it to my face. But yeah. 
English journalists are now writing there, is Hector Bellerin helped or hindered by his veganism stories? Which kind of tells you everything you need to know where we are mentally. But off it, football's absence has stripped away the sheen, the wonder, the delirious human emotion that covers football week to week. And left us with the bare bones, the owners, the agents, the money, the machinations which are now front and centre. And I say it's pretty ugly as Britain is being swallowed up by pandemic duress. Let's just say the Cold War between the clubs and the players and the Players Union, the Professional Footballers Association, it's not really making anyone look good. Last Friday, the clubs proposed an across-the-board 30% player wage cut, but the players believe this feels like an opportunistic attempt to cost-cut by team executives who've just been waiting in bad faith for a moment like this. And they've said that they're willing to give back to the National Health Service. That's the British public hospital system. But what they don't want to do is line the pockets of owners, who in many cases are billionaires. It's become a degrading standoff, forced clubs to negotiate chaotically on an individual club-by-club basis. Really, watching it, it's triggered a public relations battle. And for me, it's a public relations battle which makes no one look good. Who do you think should bear the brunt of football suspension right now, David? I think everyone and everyone is going to have to it's um you know the clubs aren't super profitable you know most of them um the entire you know scheme most of the profits that have gone out of football have gone to players and their agents yes a lot of people who own football clubs are billionaires because only a billionaire would be able to run a football club and take um that kind of risk um and you know frankly invest their money in something which is such as you know crazy business that's not what they would really should be doing with their money i'm sure their financial advisors aren't like oh yes go and buy a football club so um everybody's gonna have to bear the brunt you know and unfortunately i think that you know for me the comical part of the you know the government were putting a lot of pressure on footballers to take the 30 percent wage cut and then they realized that the treasury that they would lose about 200 million dollars in tax revenue and suddenly they realized oh wait a minute then taking the wage cut isn't such a good idea because we're going to lose all that tax revenue Everything is so interconnected. Nothing is black and white, which is what everybody wants it to be, especially the media wants it to be black and white. It's all incredibly gray. There's no precedent for any of this. There's no sense of how it's going to figure out and no sense of how it's going to be put back together. You know, the idea that suddenly we're all going to return and, you know, 60,000 people are going to be crammed into, you know, Old Trafford or Stamford Bridge or, you know, the London Stadium to go and watch football again. It's a... It's a it's a long way off returning to any kind of normalcy and everyone is going to bear the brunt, including television networks around the world, including the advertisers who've, you know, banked a lot of their money into this, including, you know, dare I say it, you know, podcasters, you know, it's just a as, as a community, everyone is going to take a hit. And unfortunately, right now, of course, the fan is missing out massively because we all miss football incredibly. Um, but it's a, everybody's going to share equally in it, Roger. I've been fascinated by Liverpool and their actions over the past three days. You know, even the most passionate Reds fans that I speak to on a daily basis were reeling when the club announced that they plan to follow their non-playing staff, turn to government support for them, which would have shaved off perhaps $1.23 million off a total annual wage bill of $382 million, an act which was, in the words of one Reds fan on Twitter, like going to the food bank when you can still comfortably afford to go to the supermarket and buy your own meals. Newcastle and Spurs pioneered the move. 
but it was a big shock because Liverpool are the world's seventh richest club. They've carried themselves with such class during the early days of this pandemic. I mean, Jurgen Klopp, his words of wisdom have really filled the vacuum left by most politicians. And then you've got club captain Jordan Henderson working to lead the players to develop plans to establish a coronavirus fund. This all felt totally tone deaf. And then yesterday night, Liverpool, you turned on the move. And I've got to say, I actually admire Liverpool's willingness to admit a mistake, to quickly correct course. You know, you don't see in football, in public life, you really don't see anymore. People say, we were wrong. I'm sorry, we're going to do this differently. And that's what's important at the moment, how you act, how you act in this moment. We've talked a lot, Dave, how this pandemic reveals the truth about people, about institutions, how they behave in this time of duress, of awfulness, how they behave good or bad. It's going to be remembered forever. Really, we're all revealing our true selves right now. And how you act, what you do, will be remembered forever. And it's really important. To, I mean, it's crucial that the football world begins to understand that and act accordingly. Yeah, but it's also a market, Rog. And look, I'm part of a large organisation, Sony, which fortunately, you know, is diversified. It has a lot of businesses. It's all over the world. They've established a $100 million COVID fund. Um they have cash reserves and they're figuring out how to continue to pay people. Um, there are other companies that are leveraged by debt that are um, just don't have the ability to do it. And up and down the pyramid of English football, there are clubs that simply do not have the money to continue to pay wages, whether it's players, whether it's staff. I hope they would actually you know, decide in favor of the, of the, of the least well-paid amongst their communities, the match day concession staff, you know, the people that, that just rely on the football club and its games for their, for their basic living. Um, but it's going to be complex. And I'm delighted that Liverpool U-turned, but there are going to be other teams, other clubs that just can't do that. You've got Norwich City, small clubs that are more uh, along the lines of the Green Bay Packers in the way that they run. But at the same time, you've got Spurs, who've not changed tack, for whom the pressure now pivots onto. I think they had a $62 million profit last year. Obviously, Newcastle, a lost hopes Newcastle. But it is fascinating watching some of the richest clubs in football, how they're pivoting, how they're operating at the moment. The world won't forget. One weird question that you've just made me think about, David, when you talk about how our desire to get back to normal is so far off. You know, all the big global leagues, the NBA, the NFL, the Premier League, all weighing up scenarios to return to play behind closed doors. The big money for them comes from global broadcasts, from the commercial deals that are attached to those. The hit they get from ticket revenue is ultimately bearable for them. But then you've got leagues like MLS, where the TV rating is actually minuscule. And the ticket revenue for a Portland or an LAFC, it's a huge, huge, massive revenue number for them, percentage-wise. Is there any point to those leagues playing closed-door games? Or is it going to be like a tree in a forest where no one's watching apart from gambling syndicates? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be impossible. I mean, look, you bring up the point that, you know, the elephants in the room, obviously, we are uh, employed by NBC Sports. Um, but what is going to be the responsibility of broadcasters to these leagues to keep on paying for rights? I and mean, ultimately, it's the broadcast payments around the world that keep the Premier League afloat. And the second that broadcasters, you know, stop paying, the entire thing collapses. Just the entire thing collapses. That's why everybody is so desperate to figure out a way to start playing again, because no one can deal without the broadcast revenue. Um, As to, you're completely right. There are leagues that are incredibly dependent 
on um uh on you know day of game ticket revenue on a, on attendance and lots of other things that happen within the community uh lots of other events you know and i think um you know women's soccer is very dependent on on that major league soccer highly dependent uh on that and um you know leagues throughout the world there's a whole tier of leagues that just that need that the lower leagues of english football the national league the lower divisions you know where the tv revenue is is nothing so the entire system just in this one short blip of calendar that could only be you know maybe this sounds insanely uh positive and optimistic but even if this is a blip of like five months it could just be destructive to the entire calendar and the pyramid um the pyramid of football globally i do worry for mls because when sport comes back there's going to be an orgy of massive big events that have all been treading water just a glut all overlapping champions league nba playoffs stanley cup playoffs all the big european football leagues not to mention the Euros, the Olympics, all going off like a box of fireworks exploding at the same time. And you've got to think about sports fans' bandwidth is never going to be more stretched. And those fourth or fifth or sixth level passions are going to be really tested. By the way, talking about fourth or fifth level passions, quick segue, banjo experts. I've been bullshitting about teaching myself to play the banjo forever. Now is the time. I'm going in. And if anyone can tell me what banjo should I buy, totally unmusical. And is there a course I should follow to get Steve Martin level mad skills? Let me know. Let's take some GFOP questions. Doesn't Steve Martin do a, literally do a masterclass on banjo playing online? I'm not, I'm, I don't put myself in master category just yet. I put, <laughs> I, I put myself more in, which end do I play? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I think then you need a lot of help. You just might need to see him. Just, just search for banjo on Google, and you, I think you'll, you'll, I think you'll pick that up. J Dubs is like, it's meant to be really infuriating when you snap a string, and I'm like, J Dubs, it's gonna be really infuriating when I smash the banjo after about twenty minutes on the desk. After <laughs> exactly. it's gonna be like your tennis career. Okay, our first question comes from at Gigantic Blue Twenty, who writes, when UEFA FA PL bosses and Liverpool an administratively awarded title. That's a, the clue is in his uh, Instagram handle or Twitter handle at GigantiCBlue20. Liverpool an administratively awarded title. Will it be like Sammy Sosa, Mark Maguire and Barry Bonds beating the home run record, always with a snort and an asterisk? Well selected, Roger. <laughs> I'm, trying to work, I'm trying to remember whether um, Gigantic Blue 20 is my burner account or <laughs> is it Gigantic Blue 19? I can always get those two mixed up. What do you think, David? What do you think? Because to me, it's going to be an optical illusion, like one of those images people look at and some people see a beautiful maid, other people see an old witch or that other, you know, the blue and gold dress. It's blue and gold. Or others say, no, it's a red and white dress that's been made badly by New Balance. I mean... What Liverpool have done this season, I want to be completely clear, win after win, the one loss, which by the way I enjoyed, the 287 point gap to second place, the six points needed to clean, all that stuff. I mean, the league does sound like it is going to be finished. They are going to find a way to play it, whether they have to do it behind closed doors or go to China or play it in Mars, whatever. It is going to be a weird coda to the season. It's going to be separate but connected played by footballers out of shape physically, out of shape mentally. You know, car walker sex parties take their toll, people. But behind closed doors, 
is going to be eerie, atmosphereless, and it is going to feel lesser, you know, particularly when they win. And we just see players kind of wandering around. We can't wait to see Klopp do that fist uh, kind of thing where he walks towards an empty stand and leads the empty stand and going, way, 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 conducting it with his fist. But, you know, if you want to technically dog Liverpool fans and diminish the achievement, other, other fans will do so. But I, I do think that would make you an arse if you do that. Liverpool are not Maguire. They're not Sosa. They've not dope. They didn't cheat. And if anything, they and their fans are being cheated. I really mean this. I, I look at how Liverpool fans must be feeling. Just shock, astonishment that this has occurred. But at the same time, we know football. It's, it, it's, it's, it's driven by love and it's driven by hate. And football haters are going to hate. But I, if I was a Liverpool fan, this is what I've dreamed of, craved of, yearned for. And you shouldn't care. Nor will you care, I don't think, knowing Liverpool fans. Look, I've... I think I've made my feelings on this subject clear. I think that you've got to either find a way to finish the season and play out all the games, or you've got to end it now and accept that the bottom three teams are down and the the you know the Liverpool win the title and you know the teams in second, third, fourth with a little asterisk next to Manchester City not knowing the outcome of their uh, tribunal, but. Uh, the second, third, fourth, fifth teams going to the Champions League, and the uh, you know the teams going to the Europa League. You got to just like fix it right now, or you got to play out the season. I don't think either scenario is going to be is going to make everybody happy, or even necessarily a majority happy. It's a it's just an insane situation. However, I think whether whether or not they are awarded the title, whether the season is played out in some compromised way, or whether it's it's finished now. I'm happy to accept Liverpool as champions. I'm happy to accept Liverpool as champions. I will grant them the title. No asterisk, zero asterisk right now. Um, however, I think it is down, and you're not going to like this, Rog. I think it is down to fans like your burner account at GiganticBlue20 and even yourself uh, at Roger Bennett, at Rog Bennett, is you've got to, if, if you always have the asterisk and bring up the asterisk, which I know you just won't be able to resist doing, I think it'll be there. Um, if fans accept it, even opposing fans, especially opposing fans, accept it, it won't be. I, I, I'm not that kind of person, mate. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be. You don't want to be that kind of a person. I'm going to get a fat head and gigantic large asterisk made just to wave during games. <laughs> be like, be, my, be like my comfort blanket. Uh, yeah, this was better than the idea. Didn't you talk about on a previous pod? That, uh, that Everton fans wanted to uh, print out massive pictures of uh, Brit famous British sex offenders and have them in the background of shots when Liverpool were winning the title. That was that was entirely worse. That, by the way, that was not that was an Everton chat room idea, an amazing <laughs> Everton chat room, which was built out of fear that they were going to win the title at Goodison Park. God, that yeah. wasn't the world wonderful when that was the worst thing that we could imagine in life that Liverpool would win the title at Goodison Park. And some Everton fans had the idea in the chat room, debated that A, no one should go the game so that in 50, 60 years, when they put photographs of Liverpool winning the title up around Anfield, 
It would the, the guy wrote it'll look like no one cared. Well, they're gonna get that dream. And then the second the the second idea was not only will we not go, but we'll actually turn up at the ground before kickoff and leave enormous blown up photos of Jimmy Savile. Google him if you <laughs> want to know who it is. It's a it's one of the most scarring, traumatic, emotional experiences of any English person's youth was that the person who was like our oh, it was like oh Mr. Rogers, the guy that was just a consoling adult who really understood children, turned out to be a horrific horrific a genuinely just a horrific the worst the worst i mean just the worst sex offender of the 20th century and that was the everton fans idea they'd put enormous photos of jimmy savile so no so liverpool would never be able to use the photographs for their historical memory that level of thinking that level of creativity <laughs> you've made me realize Dave. There probably will, for many fans, always be an asterisk. OK, Rog, now to one of your new school ravens from our WGFOP, the bald voicemail line, 646-450-9472. This one comes from first-time, long-time Johnny in Philadelphia. Life without the Premier League has been a walk in the park for me because I believe I'm the only Sunderland supporter on the Eastern Seaboard. My question for you is what journeyman or cult player has through your club and left enough memories for you to continue to follow his or her career? For example, of all the players who grace the Black Cats, I've always had a special place in my heart for Jiggle Cisse. Thanks. Stay healthy. Courage. Johnny. Oh, Sunderland fan. God love. I will say Sunderland Till I Die might be the single worst name pandemic show release of all time. On the river where they used to build the ships. Gets me every time. I love, love, love this question, mate, because I live for cult players, probably because... When you actually define what a cult player is, it's a bloke who is essentially crap, but so grateful to play for your club that he tries so hard and adores the shirt like a fan does and has like one moment of otherworldly, superhuman, majestic form for your team, an incredible goal, an incredible cross, an incredible save of which ballads were written that have lasted for generations. you got, like, maybe Mario Balotelli at Manchester City fits into that. Diego Forlan, certainly, at Manchester United. Kind of peak cult heroes. When you think like that, Davo, pretty much anyone who's excelled at Everton fits into that category. But who do you think of? Well, my player wasn't crap. My player was a very, very good player. He just, and actually had phenomenal talent, but he was never really able to achieve it at Chelsea Football Club. It was our pacey Danish winger, born in Greenland, Rog. Jesper Gronkea. Uh, he played for us for uh, four years, from 2000 till 2004. He left just before it got good, Rog, just before we started winning. There is some, uh, surely uh, no coincidence, Rog. Um, he was phenomenal. We used to sing a song in the Upper East Stand about Jesper Gronkea to the tune of Bon Jovi's Living on a Prayer. Ooh, he's halfway there. Whoa, Jesper Gronkea. Because he was incapable of ever finishing any move. He was Ross Barkley before Ross Barkley, Rog. He just, he would do something outstanding and then give the ball away or do something outstanding and then cross the ball into uh, row double V. He just couldn't ever quite finish. He did score a sensational goal against Liverpool, and I was at that game. It was clearly a cross that sailed uh, that, that that sailed into the top of the net. Um, but yeah, Jesper Gronkaja, he'd be pretty much my favourite uh, journeyman. He played 80 times for the Danish national team, Rog. He went on to Birmingham City, went on to FC Copenhagen, came from Ajax. He had an incredible career, but that, I actually think, in the modern era, would be my Chelsea journeyman. 
Oh, mate. Ross Barkley would bite your hand off to be halfway there. Um, you know, I think of Everton, and it is almost every player that I've loved is a cult hero. It's the only time we have Omar on the ass. Obviously, Tony Hibbert, Stephen. Oh, sex god, Smith. But my favourite, when I thought about this all time, I thought of one man and one man only, and his name, Dennis Strachalursi. The Strach! Oh, the Strach! Good work, Strach, lad! Just a random Argentinian guy who arrived on deadline day 2011. Everton needed a big-name signing. We had to have one. No one had come in. We'd lost Mikel Arteta. We'd lost Yakubu. We had no hope. And who did David Moyes yank in at the last? I think it was even deadline day. David Moyes, yes. Yeah, it was Dennis Strakalursi on loan. Oh. On loan for free. I mean, a man who looked like Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. He overpaid. Yeah, and we, yeah, we, uh, Moyes, Moyes was asked how he found him, and he said to the press with no humour, he just said, I found him on YouTube. I mean, we had no hope. In came also, right, either the same day or the day before, it was when Royston Drenthe oh, came I in. I love Royston Drenthe. You know, Royston Drenthe came in from Real Madrid with real, like, class, and he was meant to be a great, and Dennis Strat was meant to be crap, and, you know, came in from Tigres, no one cared. And all Royston wanted to do is party and cruise around Liverpool in his Ferrari really slowly, just kind of um, just showing off in front of the Liverpool locals. But the Strack, who had no skills, none, none whatsoever, all he wanted was to give his all. He had no ability. He did have three lungs. He just run and run and run. And he scored, in his time at Everton, one league goal. One league goal. But it came against Chelsea. It was a season Landon Donovan was playing. It was Landon that rolled the ball to him. In steps Dennis Strack, who smacks what should be said is a savable, totally savable shot of Peter Cech. But Cech had gambled, gone the wrong way, still got a hand to it, and the ball somehow bundled over the line. But Strack's reaction to his winner, it was the same kind of reaction I would have if I was playing. He was as astonished as we were. He almost started crying on the field. And it's for that reason, I mean, a player who was really a fan of the team rather than the player giving his all and then finally getting a goal in a massive game, a massive moment that I'll always remember. If I have a fifth kid, and I may, a quarantine kid, I'd call it boy or girl, I'd call it the Strack. I'd call it the <laughs> Strack Bennett because Strack attitude is what we all need to bring to life, especially now in lockdown life, Davo. Everyone listening, we all have an inner Strack. Release it. Release it. The strap that lies within. Ugh. I already have too many Vikings, Rog. I can't have a Jesper. Can't have a Jesper. Um, okay, Rog, our final question from today comes from GFOP Angel Gonzalez. Angel Gonzalez. I'm sorry if I'm saying your name wrong. Angel, Angel, Angel Gonzalez, who wants to know the big question of our age. What is the best attire for teleconferencing? That's a great question. Topical. Oh, Davo, you are the expert in this. You zoom it up far more than I do. What would you suggest? Well, for me, the answer is pretty much in all of life is always athleisure. Whether you have just worked out, whether you're about to work out, uh, whether you're just thinking of working out, you know, wear athleisure. I've been ordering so uh, many clothes from uh, Champion, uh, for Todd Snyder, from Nike, from Adidas, from all of my favourite brands, Stone Island. And that's on the whole what I've been wearing uh, while I've been on the pod. Oh, Stone Island, not many people know this, is actually created in his own lounge by Rob Stone. But 
I'm raising <laughs> my Jägermeister shot at you and Hal Gonzalez because next teleconference call you have, you have my permission to to try Zoom pants drunk. Just just drink throughout the conference call while you're wearing only your underpants. Impress your colleagues, your bosses. It'll get you promoted almost instantly. And actually love, thought about this a lot, a company like Foco who make those sports fan onesies. I'd love someone to custom make me a suit, a onesie, which is a onesie of a naked body, which is anatomically correct. I'd love it. A Pilates bod, <laughs> so I wouldn't feel guilty about all my lapses, David. Oh, just sit there, touching my own nipples. We should go to Baldmart, David. Well, actually, instead of the Baldmart, we're going to do something slightly different and offer a product tip, activity, self-isolation hack that's helping us could help you get through these times. It's no longer just limited to books and high-end kitchenware or hardware, Rog. What are you putting in our alternative bald mark this week, Rogelio? Well, now I can do anything. I'm free to choose absolutely anything in the world. Yep. I'm going to go with a book. Oh, the Convert by Stefan Hurtmans. Oh, I mentioned at the top of the pod that I have not been able to concentrate at all the past three weeks. My reading has gone to crap, but... I believe, and what I don't want to like curse myself before I finish the thing, but my favourite Belgian author of all time, Stefan Hurtmans, has solved this. He wrote a book which I talked about a couple of years ago, which is still one of my best of the last decade, War and Turpentine, which was part memoir, part novel. You'd love this book, David. Just an amazing historical reconstruction of the wars, the conflict of 20th century Europe and how it affects him personally. If you need a book to read right now, though, make it that. But his new book, The Convert, is awe-inspiring. It's like a Romeo and Juliet story of doom love played out against the backdrop of the 11th century European crusades. Oh, I love a crusade. With Hurtman's lair in his retracing of the journey in the narrative, he retraces it in modern-day Europe and Africa. And it is a story of history, of geography, of love, told by a bloke who is the master of description, the master of human emotion. Even if you are in quarantine, it will allow your heart and mind to soar through time and space, which is what we all need right now, right? So Stefan Hurtmans, you're a genius. You're the KDB of writing, and I'm so grateful to you right now. Uh, Okay, Roger. Well, now I can do anything. I can blatantly self-promote. Tonight, Rog, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 Central, uh... 10 p.m. Pacific. Sorry, don't know Mountain. Um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is back on primetime, hosted by Jimmy Kimmel. Um, I last produced this show, I think, 11 years ago. I did some specials. Really, this is the show that went on the air 21 years ago, changed my life. I produced a bunch of primetime episodes in three years, and this is the first real attempt to bring back the show in all that time. Um... I work so hard on it. My whole team at Embassy Row works so hard on it. We're so passionate about it. We give millions and millions of dollars away to charity. Roger, charity. Uh, so much money raised for charity. Um, and for all you GFOPs, watch the show. It's really funny. We all need a bit of a laugh in these in these dark times. Celebrities playing for their charities of choice. Jimmy is just excellent. We've updated the game, updated the set. Um, it feels everything you loved about the show and a lot that's just brand new. Um, but the most exciting thing for all GFOPs, we have developed an app. Download the app, Millionaire Live, at the App Store. And after the show finishes, so at 11 Eastern, 10 Central, um, but it will play at uh, 8 
Pacific, um, you can play a, an online version of Millionaire and win the same amount of money that celebrities win in the hot seat. Um, so thousands and thousands and thousands, tens of thousands, actually over the course of the run, millions of dollars available to win on this app just by playing Millionaire from your smartphone, from home, um, from your gardens as you're identifying your plants. Um, and uh, nothing would make me happier than for a GFOP uh, to end up um, winning money. So play the game, let you know how you do, um, watch the show and uh, enjoy it. And thank you. Thank you for all the lovely messages that you've sent. I was on ABC News last night, Rush. They did an entire special. This is what the news has come to. Uh, they did an entire special on Millionaire last night and I was assaulted uh, from uh, tweets, messages, uh, DMs from GFOPs who were incredibly shocked to see me on ABC News last night. I think they were more shocked because you had hair, mate. <laughs> yeah, it's all painted on, painted on. It's amazing what they do in post. Oh, man, can I just say, to all you listeners in mountain time, I feel your pain. I'm sure you're constantly passed over, constantly shafted. Mountain time gets shafted again. Well, it's going to air it. It's going to air in mountain time. I just don't know what time. I just don't know how they air it in mountain time. It's, it's always been very confusing to me. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at Embassy Davies, at Rog Bennett on Instagram, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davies, Facebook Men in Blazers. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. You can send your ravens to the crap part of Soho and we will get them somehow. Vendapunk, Rog. War pig! Who wants the sex matombo? I like snacks. Balls win, balls win. Oh, take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To tweed. Abricado, rock on, mate. Kung fu fighting, America. Really, kung fu fighting. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. And huge love to all of you GFOPs. Keep talking to us. Send us your ravens, your voicemails uh, on 646-450-9742. And we raise our Jägermeister right up to you. These are difficult times. Let's stick together. Let's help each other. Let's bring the love. Or as Steve Bruce would say, the bacon, did you say? Bacon? Bacon. I'm couraging. I've got to get myself a pig loop. <laughs>